It is Monday, February 20th, 2023, and welcome to episode 184 of Fault Lines, the National Security Institute's podcast that gets you quickly up to speed three times a week on the national security and foreign policy debates shaking up America. So this is President's Day, uh, and because we are closely associated with George Mason University, where George Mason was was not a president of the United States, we are not observing this holiday in the podcast sense, uh, and we are doing our usual routine. Also, uh, President's Day, we're going to be talking about President Biden and President Zelensky, of course, because President Biden was in Kiev today, visiting with President Zelensky, showing U.S. support for Ukraine in its uh, existential war against Russia. Of course, Russia invaded Ukraine about a year ago, unprovoked, uh, without any rational basis in international law for doing so. The Ukrainians have engaged uh, in, in an amazing fight against the Russians and have largely thwarted Russia's ambitions to take over the country. Everyone knows this. Nevertheless, Russia still controls about 20% of Ukraine's territory in the eastern part of the country and in Crimea. Uh, it appears right now that Ukrainian and Russian forces are engaged in a bit of a stalemate, although I would point out that Russian forces are allegedly in the middle of an offensive that is actually not going very well for them. The Ukrainians are doing a very good job of holding them off. There's a whole lot of issues that we're going to try and talk about very quickly about this week, about the president's visit. We're going to try and do an assessment of where we stand in Ukraine, where it looks like things are going forward. I'm just going to throw out here as, as kind of a jumping off point, and, and I welcome Jess or Jamil uh, challenging me on this. I think President Biden has done uh, a very good job of managing the U.S. end of this since the invasion happened. Arguably, he could have been doing a lot more before the invasion happened, but since then, been managing the conflict very well, has been providing assistance to Ukraine, both military and economic, and also humanitarian assistance in a way that has kept Ukraine uh, in the in the leading position in this fight, not going too far but giving them plenty of uh, equipment and ammunition they need to carry carry out this fight. So I would say uh, as the as the White House spin on this visit, and I say that with respect, is that this is a defining moment in the Biden presidency. I think it actually is a defining moment in the Biden presidency. I think the spin is pretty close to reality. President's done a good job. He deserves credit for this. There's a long way to go. But I would say right now, kudos to Joe Biden. Les, I'm partially on your page. I, I would call it a defining moment. I wish the defining moment had come earlier, which is, I think, maybe the one part spot me and Jamila Grigan. I think it should have come earlier. But I think, to your point, he has done reasonably a good job. Um, Ukraine is still in this fight. I think, you know, we're one year in an interstate conflict that didn't end quickly. You know, there's one of two ways you know, conflicts like this can end quickly or they're going to last a long time. So we're one year in. I'm not surprised that we're going to make it to two years in. What I really wonder is, you know, once we get to 2024, you know, how the U.S. presidential election is going to impact our support. Jamil's shaking his head like crazy. Yeah, I mean, look, if this is a defining moment for President Biden, it's a pretty bad defining one. It's a bad defining one because we've slowly eked up our support for the Ukrainians uh, while we've seen almost 9,000 dead civilians, hundreds of children killed on the battlefield. Um, and we haven't allowed them to win. So I think this idea that we've given them just enough to allow them to stay in the fight, but not enough to win is a terrible position for us to be in. It's allowed thousands and thousands to die, um, and, and not change the battlefield. So I don't really think this is actually a win for anybody. And as to, you know, President Biden going to Ukraine in a celebratory move, you know, a year into this conflict, I mean, it, what's unfortunate about this is that nearly every other major world leader has gone to Kiev long before Joe Biden, from Macron to Scholz 
to, you know, to two different British prime ministers, um, you know, uh, you know, he, even even the first lady has gone to Ukraine before President Biden. So this idea that somehow now it's, it's this big triumphant moment. I, I think it is a defining moment. And, you know, I just I, I disagree with your framing, Jamil. I think uh, the aid the U.S. has been providing has kept Ukraine in the in the pole position here. I think it's it's been well administered. It's been timed the right way. We haven't overwhelmed the Ukrainians with too many systems. We've we've given them what they need to win in the moment. And I think uh, the idea that we could have given them just like a whole bunch of stuff instantly that would have caused them to win the whole war is just not correct. Now, let me uh, point out that while I, I admire the president for this visit, and I think he's done a good job, he could have done more, including symbolically today, he could have brought Republicans with him to Kiev and really demonstrated to the world, to Vladimir Putin and to the Ukrainians that the, that the support for the war effort is bipartisan. Mitch McConnell at the Munich Security Conference last week said Republican Party stands with Ukraine. This idea that a few voices in the Republican Party that are isolationist and almost pro-Putin are dispositive is crazy. Uh, and he said it's in our interest to win this war, to push Russia back. It would have been great to see Joe Biden bring his old friend Mitch McConnell with him to Kiev or Kevin McCarthy or both of them. Uh, call me crazy, but I think that's the kind of thing that would have really put this thing over the top and turned a home run into a grand slam. Hey, I, look, I think it's great if he would have brought Kevin McCarthy or Mitch McConnell. Uh, they're right next door, by the way, just uh, just over in um, in uh, at the Munich Security Conference. It would have been easy for them to get there. But here's the real thing, Les. You know it would have been great for him to bring with him? Some F-16 fighters or some long-range <laughs> missiles, attack him. Right? What, what, what the Ukrainians need is not Republicans or Joe or Mitch McConnell or Kevin McCarthy. They need more weaponry. And Joe Biden has eked it out slowly but surely. We haven't even provided the M1 tanks that we said we were going to provide. By the way, the M1 tanks we were shamed into providing by the British who did it first. After months of saying we would never do it because it would cause the Russians to use nuclear weapons, now it's fine to provide M1 tanks. We're just going to get them to them, you know, when when we get around to it. I think what President Biden needs to do is to fulfill the request that President Zelensky just made, which is please speed up your delivery of weapons and give us the things we need to win. I think of all the people on this podcast who know actually what, what the Ukrainians need and can take, it's probably not anybody on this podcast. It's probably Vladimir Zelensky, who has fought a great war, and he's asking for fighter jets. We should give it to him. I agree we should give them, but I also don't think that F-16s are going to change the are, – aren't going to be the deciding game changer in this in this conflict. I, I think it's just – continue. The, com, the conflict is going to continue. So the U.S. is going to continue to need support. So actually, less when you brought up, you know, bringing a bunch of – you know, bringing Republicans, I hadn't thought about that, and that would have been a home run. I wouldn't say grand slam, but I would say home run. All right. And by the way, Jamil, I disagree with you. A uh, political support in the United States is vastly more important than any weapon system. In the long run, U.S. political support for Ukraine is the thing that's going to make a big difference here. Uh, I want to quickly, before we're done today, I want to quickly bring up this whole China issue. The Biden administration has, uh, in the in the person of Tony Blinken, has really been pushing the Chinese hard, saying that they're being tempted right now to provide material assistance to Russia in this war. He warned them not to do that. China responded by basically saying, the United States is bullying us and it shouldn't be a bully in the world. Gosh, it's just terrible, this bullying. Um, any any quick thoughts, folks, on the the role of China in this conflict? Well, I, I mean, I think it's interesting that, you know, we have such a, a Western-centric view. I mean, China is, I mean, 
building this great narrative across, you know, the, the global South of look at the U.S. continuing to bully us. Look at this. They want to prolong the conflict. Like instead of, you know, sending resources or aid to all these other nations, economic development, they're just continuing this conflict. And so, you know, they're coming out with, I put in quotes, a peace proposal in the next few days. China is. Um, I'm sure that's going to help support their narrative as well. Jamil. Look, I think the peace proposal is going to be just another patsy for the Russian position, which is that the Russians should get some land in eastern Ukraine, keep Crimea. So I'm not in- interested in seeing this Chinese peace plan at all. What I am interested in seeing is the Chinese admitting what they've been doing, which is Chinese companies selling flak jackets and helmets to the Ukrainians, and that they are getting close to the line of thinking about providing, providing weaponry. They're going to use this moment with Secretary Blinken calling them out publicly as an opportunity to actually provide those things and saying you can't stop us from doing it. They were always planning on doing it. They signed a partnership with the Russians right when they went in called the No Limits Partnership. It does have some limits, clearly, but, you know, apparently lethal military aid isn't going to be one of them. The real question, though, is with President Biden and Secretary Blinken both having told uh, the Chinese that this is that this is, you know, a red line. If they cross, it's going to really damage American Chinese relationship, the American Chinese relationship. What exactly are we going to do to enforce that red line? All right. We're going to leave it at that. That's a wrap. Thanks to Brooke Aga Khan from NSI and Claude Jennings for their help producing today's episode. Join us again on Wednesday for another great episode of Fault Lines, the podcast that gets you smart fast on national security debates shaking up America. And if you like what you heard, please rate, review, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.